Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. Uh, like always, remember that Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Overcast, Stitcher, Pandora, TuneIn, so whatever you listen to your podcast, Let's Talk Micro is there. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So please go ahead and follow. On the last episode, I touched on some things that uh, Carla Zamora went over, some types of agar or media. And if you haven't listened to the interview, which is episode 11 a conversation with carla zamora please go ahead and do so great information carla is an environmental microbiologist from queretaro mexico so great information awesome to see what an environmental microbiologist does so we talked about some types of agar i went over five that she mentioned two for gram positive rods and three for gram negative rods more specifically for gram-positive rods, for Listeria, which was Polcom and Oxford. They contain some antibiotics and some ingredients that inhibit the, gro the growth of other organisms. This is used in the food industry for the environmental microbiologists when they get products and they want to make sure that Listeria is not in it. So it is used for the isolation of Listeria. These two types of agar, Polcam and Oxford, they're differential for esculin hydrolysis. So like we talked about, we like McConkie, it's differential for lactose fermentation. But Polcam and Oxford are differential for esculin hydrolysis, which Listeria species, they do, they hydrolyze esculin. And then we talked about three types of agar, three different kinds for gram-negative rods, EMB, eosine methylene blue, in which E. coli has a, a green sheen, and it's also for lactose fermentation. That one, you, depending on which side of the world you're on, you might not see as much, but then hectone and XLD, those you're definitely gonna see whatever you are, use them in the States and in other parts of the world. With Hectone and XLD, they are selected for gram-negative rods and they are differential for lactose fermentation, which the colonies turn yellow, and for H2S production, which the colonies turn black. And for your students out there, you remember that um, H2S is definitely helpful for differentiate salmonella which is a, a another serious organism that in the food industry you have to be aware of because it is on it is normal flora in chickens so you can have it in chicken eggs and it contaminates food products especially if let's say there's not a proper irrigation system your produce can get contaminated with it so you have to be careful so this organism is h2s producing but however, this production is not exclusive to salmonella. 
So all the organisms can turn black on Hecton and XLD. And that's where the acronym SPACE, which is not mine, it's something I heard years ago, so I'm not claiming it is, comes in. It's a very helpful acronym to help you remember H2S or hydrogen sulfide producing organisms. You have S for Salmonella, P for Proteus, the A is for Arizona, which is a subspecies of Salmonella, C is for Citrobacter, and E is for Edward Ciela. So these organisms are H2S producing. So you have to make sure that when you get, you have H2S colonies on your agar, you correlate this by either with more testing, uh, performing an ID, and things like that. And I also touched on the last episode about the order of streaking. This is very important. I like to repeat it a lot, but I still see texts that they don't do it. Basically, you don't want to bring any of that selected material to your other plate. So you should always streak from least selective to most selective. And why is that? Well, you can inhibit the growth on your blood plate if you're bringing materials from that McConkie from your loop. So you always want to start with your least selective. So I gave the scenario where you have blood, McConkie, XLD, Hectone, chocolate. How would you treat those? I'm going to pause for a few seconds so you can think it over, you students out there. So we have blood, chocolate, McConkie, XLD, and Hectone. So you start with your blood, move on to your chocolate, then your McConkie, your XLD, and your Hectone. And I mentioned that McConkie, Hectone, and XLD, they're selected for gram-negative rods. So after your Mac, you can do the XLD first, the Hectone first. If you have a McConkie with Sorbitol, you can vary the order of those. But the most important thing is that you cannot start with your McConkie and end with your blood. So very important, always keep the order of streaking. So what are we talking to on, uh, about on today's episode? Well, another I have another test that, I mean, Carla did mention in her interview, but I was going to cover it anyway because it's very important, which is called the TSI test or the tri triple sugar iron test. In large labs in the U.S. and the United States, you don't really use it anymore. You probably, I don't know if there are smaller labs out there that still use it. If there are, go ahead and please, you know, tell me on Instagram, send me a message. But I haven't seen any in the labs that I've been on. I mean, nowadays we go more to us, you know, like in the oxidase, we use the the Vitek, the Molotov. But I know I have seen from posts from all over the world that you still use it. And you also learn about it in school. And it's still very, you know, you get tested on it when you're taking your board exams, at least here in the US. So I'm gonna go over this test today. It's a very important test use. It's primarily used to differentiate the enterobacterialis from other gram-negative rods. Enterobacterialis, as you know, used to be the Enterobacteriaceae, a group of gram-negative rods. Most of them are intestinal flora, but some of them are not, and they're definitely very pathogenic. 
So what do we use this test for? Other than the obvious that I said, from differentiate the enterobacterialis from other gram-negative runs. Well, you know, this test is used to determine whether a gram-negative run ferments glucose and lactose or sucrose and forms hydrogen sulfide. So here comes the H2S again. So you are expecting that if you have a salmonella on, one, on this test, you should see the black, which is when the H2S is produced, black colonies, you know, the, you can see black color in the other the colonies turn black. So let's get a little technical here. So you know that when I'm saying this, I'm talking about my reference book, Bailey and Scott's Diagnostic Microbiology, an excellent source, excellent, refer excellent reference book. So this is the tube where the agar is slanted. And what's in it? Well, you have 10 parts lactose, 10 sucrose, one part glucose, and one part peptone. It also has phenol red and ferrous sulfate as indicators of acidification and hydrogen sulfide production, respectively. I mean, maybe you might not be familiar with the ferrous sulfate, but definitely with the phenol red, you hear that a lot, right? So it's an indicator of acid production. So when it will change the, me the medium to yellow when acid is produced and the pH is lowered. So this agar, this, it's basically com composed of two parts. All right, so we talked about the ingredients that it has. So it has two parts. There's the part, the slant, which is obviously it's slanted, it's tilted. And then you have the bottom, which is called the butt, B-U-T-T. So an organism that ferments glucose, it will turn the butt yellow. And an organism that ferments glucose lactose and sucrose turns the butt and the slant yellow so why is this color change you know from so the agar is it's like a red color so why does it change to yellow and that's what i talked about before that um when acid is produced due to, due to fermentation the ph lowers and then the color changes from red to yellow and then the organism an organism that produces hydrogen sulfide turns the outer black so once again I talked about the space organisms so salmonella can turn it black so before we move on go ahead and once again think about H2S producing organisms space salmonella proteus citrobacter edwardsiella you don't see Edorciella as much, at least in my side of the world, but you definitely deal a lot with Proteus and Citrobacter, and we'll talk more about Proteus in another episode. You know, this is one of the, the greatest things about this field. There's so much to talk about, so many little components. So today we'll just touch on the TSI and the reactions. Also, if gas is produced, this is noted by the lifting or breaking of the agar. So how do we inoculate it? So very simple, you know, there's a tube, like I said, you know, it has a slanted portion, it has the bottom portion. So there's gonna be a little bit of streaking, but not none of the quantitative or 
or um, four quadrant streaking. So you do the stab and streak method. So what's the stab and streak method? So you grab your colony, you stab the butt, and then as you pull back your loop, then you start streaking your slant. And very simple. So it's just a stab and streak. And then you incubate it, and then you read it at 24 hours. So how do we report it? We use the terms A for acid and K for alkaline. So we read it slant over butt. So if the slant and our butt are yellow or acid, we're going to use the, the letter A. If they are red or alkaline, um, which is, you know, remember, fermentation lowers the pH, causing acidification, and there's a color change. We call it K. So these are the two terms that we use, A and K. So if you have an alkaline slant, and no change on the butt. So basically the whole thing stay red the way it was. So in this case will be KK, K over K. And what does this mean? Well, it means that the organism does not utilize glucose, sucrose, or lactose, like it doesn't ferment it. So then what if we have an alkaline slant and an acid butt? So it's K over A. So what does this mean? The organism ferments glucose only. And if we have an acid slant and an acid butt, AA, this means that the organism ferments glucose, lactose, and or sucrose. If we have a black precipitate on the butt, that means that hydrogen sulfide is, has been produced by the organism. And then if we have gas, bubbles, or cracks, which indicate the production of CO2, carbon dioxide, or hydrogen. So these are a lot of terms, especially, I mean, if you're a tech, you're more used to this, but if you're a student and you're trying to learn this, let's go ahead and go back real quick. That way uh, we can reinforce this. So for reporting, we use the terms A for acid and K for alkaline. We read it slant over butt. So you can have two different colors. The agar is red and then it changes to yellow. So if you are, if it, the color is yellow, you report as A. If it's alkaline red, no color change, you report it as K. So if you have an alkaline slant and no change on the butt, so meaning that everything is red, alkaline is red, the agar is red, so there was no change. So that will be K over K. So the organism does not ferment glucose, sucrose, and lactose. If you have an alkaline slant and acid butt, K over A, the organism ferments glucose only. And then if you have an acid slant and an acid butt, so the whole thing is yellow, it'll be A over A. And then this means that the organism ferments glucose, lactose, and sucrose. If the butt is black, if there's a black precipitate on the butt, that means that hydrogen sulfide has been produced. And then if you have bubbles or cracks in the agar, 
this indicates that gas has been produced, that CO2 or hydrogen has been produced. And that's how we read it. So let's go ahead and start talking about some results, right? Let's talk about our E. coli. So E. coli can vary with the results. You can have K over A, A over A, or K over A with gas. So we can have alkaline over acid, 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 or alkaline and acid with gas. What about Klebsiella pneumoniae? A over A with gas. So acid slant, acid butt with gas. What about our friend, quote unquote, Salmonella? So K over A. So alkaline slant over acid butt with gas and H2S. And then we have Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is K over K. So now if you're thinking about this, you're going, whoa, wait a minute. He said to this test is used for to the, you know, differentiate enterobacteriales from other gram-negative rods. And then he's been talking about enterobacteriales. He gave me the reactions for E. coli, Klebsiella, Salmonella. And now he's talking about Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And why is that? Well, it's very easy. Now let's start with, let's see if you have, from what I've been talking about, about reactions, about on my episodes. Let's think about this. Is Pseudomonas aeruginosa an enterobacteriales? If you're thinking yes, then go ahead and study a little bit more. If you're thinking no, you are correct. And why is that? Well, if I don't, if I don't know anything else about Pseudomonas aeruginosa, I know one thing. It is oxidase positive. And like I talked about on my episode about the oxidase, on the oxidase episode, if an organism, if a gram-negative rod is oxidase positive, it is not an enterobacteriale because all enterobacteriale or enterobacteriaceae are oxidase negative. That's part of their trait. That's the way they are. So then why are we going to use it in this? Well, it's definitely a control, right? We know that Pseudomonas is not a fermenter. It's a non-fermenting gram-negative rod. So if you put it there, it's you know it's a it's your negative control you're making sure that you know the actual media works placing an organism that that you don't get a false positive so you're expecting pseudomonas to be negative you inoculate it and then you see the the red color so you know that you don't have a false positive result because it is supposed to be negative so it's a it's a great negative control but remember, and I want to reinforce this again since I said it, and I talked about it on the oxidase episode, enterobacteriales are oxidase negative. So if you have an oxidase positive organism, it is not an enterobacteriale. So definitely keep that in mind. And I have mentioned that, I mentioned that you incubate it and read it at 24 hours. You can read it from 18 to 24 hours. But you make sure that you shouldn't read it beyond 24 hours. 
And this is because, you know, there can be an oxidation of the fermentation of the lactose and glucose and our sucrose. And then the slant can go back to the red color. So there was a fermentation and then it incubated longer. Oxidation took place and then the color reverted again to red, giving you a false negative result. So make sure that when you incubate it, you read it from 18 to 24 hours. And normally most of this test, that's, that's the time that you should read it. Um, you know, it gets, that's when the, the organism is at its best. So keep that in mind. If you're not going to be able to read it after the 24 hours, make sure that you don't perform it or just let someone know so they can do the proper reading. So I gave you reactions for Salmonella, for E. coli, for Klebsiella. So now knowing what you know, if I give you a Proteus mirabilis, what would you expect the reaction to be? Well, think about it. Um, Proteus is a non-lactose fermenter. So now from what you've seen, you can expect the the slant portion to be alkaline, K. I mean, it is a glucose fermenter, so you expect that to be A. And then from your favorite acronym, SPACE, you know, it's an H2S producer, so you can expect H2S production. So it will be alkaline over acid with H2S production, or K over A with H2S. What about Shigella? Well, the same thing. Shigella is not a lactose fermenter. It does ferment glucose. Shigella doesn't produce H2S, so you're not expecting that. So it will be K over A. Alkaline over acid. So that's one way to think about it. I mean, you know that. So the glucose fermenters, when the organism ferments the glucose, it happens on the butt. And then when they ferment lactose and or sucrose, it's on the slant. So those organisms that you know that you put in McConkie that are non-lactose cementers, they are expected to have a, an alkaline or a K reaction on the slant. So right, very simple. So keep that in mind. And today, we, if you, you learn about the stab and streak method, I mean, this is something that you heard about probably learn in school. If not, if this is the first time you hear it, it's very simple. So you stop the butt and then as you're pulling out your loop, you start streaking your slant. Very simple procedure. So remember that, remember the acronym SPACE. And like I mentioned before, maybe this test, you might not do it in your lab here in the United States. In other parts of the world, it gets done. But this is something that you will definitely get asked about. For example, here in the, in the U.S., there's an organization called the American Society for Clinical Pathology, or AACP. You know, they have no relationship with this podcast. And they, they give you a license, so you have to take an exam with them. And then when you pass this, this exam, you get certified by them. And the ACP, you can basically work in any state here in the U.S. And this is definitely one of the questions. 
that they ask. So it's all, it's it's very important to know this test, know how it works, and know their reactions. Because even if you might not see it at your workspace, you will definitely be tested on. So there you have it. So I just want to touch a little bit on Pseudomonas aeruginosa in case I confuse anyone. So it is used as a control in the TSI agar because it is negative, it, does, it is a non-fermenter, but it is not part of the enterobacterialis, as your students should know. I mean, just on the oxidase alone, it's not an enterobacterialis because it's oxidase positive. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening about triple sugar iron test, because I did enjoy talking to you about it. Continue that motivation. Continue bringing that passion to what you do. Thank you for all you do. Continue studying hard if you're studying. You know, it's always great when you are very passionate about what you do. So definitely continue bringing that, stay safe, and continue talking micro. Once again, it's been a pleasure. I hope you have a great week, and until next time.